Welcome to Murphy's Medicine Weekend Extra, hosted by Dr. Stephen A.R. Murphy. We'll talk men's health, longevity, mental focus, and the importance of being a good dad. Now, let the conversation begin. Here's your host, Dr. Murphy. What is up, my tribe? It's the weekend. Not only is it the weekend, but it is faith and bigora. It is St. Patrick's Day. That's right. St. Pat's. So if you are ready for the weekend, then you have gotten some soda bread or you made it, or perhaps you bought that corned beef and are rapidly approaching a time to put it in the crock pot, or you are astute in the skills of the Instapot or the pressure cooker where you can actually cook a corned beef and cabbage in just a couple hours. Well, either way, you're getting ready for this weekend and you're headed to your last day of work on Friday, March 17th, otherwise known as St. Patrick's Day, right? So St. Patrick's Day is celebrated annually on March 17th because it's the anniversary of the death of St. Patrick in the fifth century. So what is amazing about this St. Patrick's Day is that we will have observed this religious holiday for over a thousand years. That's right. It will be over a millennia of St. Patrick's Day, which really falls in the Christian season of Lent. Irish families all over America and Ireland and the world traditionally attend church in the morning and celebrate in the afternoon. Now, the interesting part of it is that the Lenten prohibitions against the consumption of meat were waived on St. Patrick's Day. And so therefore, you'd have a traditional Irish meal. And believe it or not, it would be Irish bacon and cabbage. And if anyone hasn't had a boiled dinner, the Americanized version of it, they are missing out. So you tuned in today, that's right, for Murphy's Medicine on St. Patrick's Day. So it's a very special day for us here, and we're really happy to share it with you. Because the Irish, over the years, including St. Patrick, who wasn't really Irish, he was Roman British, had things go wrong. It's just the way that it is. And some of the slaves sold into slavery millennia ago were Irish slaves. And so I want to talk a little bit about St. Patrick today. That way you guys understand what's going on and we can talk about Murphy's Law as it relates to St. Patrick. So St. Patrick really lived during the fifth century and is the patron saint of Ireland, and he's the national apostle. So he's actually born in British Rome, Roman British, the Roman-occupied British territories. And he was kidnapped, and he was actually brought to Ireland as a slave at 16 years old. So can you imagine that? When it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong. You get kidnapped at 16. That's just crazy to think the kids get kidnapped. But guess what? Kids get kidnapped today right? We have sex trafficking. We have all sorts of horrible things still happening to kids to this day. So at 16, he was brought over to Ireland as a slave and he escaped. But guess what? He returned to Ireland and with it, he's credited for bringing Christianity to the people of Ireland. So in the centuries following Patrick's death, the mythology got even more grand, right? His life became ever more ingrained in Irish culture. And the most well-known legend that we really know about is the fact that he explained the, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost using the three leaves of a shamrock, right? A shamrock, an Irish clover, right? But when do we start celebrating this 
holiday, St. Patrick's Day. Well, ever since I joined the Murphy family, I've been celebrating it. So one of the great things about being part of Irish culture is that you understand that there were many waves of immigrants to the United States that were Irish, right? So I grew up Americanized Irish, right? My father's from San Juan, Puerto Rico, but my mother remarried an Irishman by the name of Lyndon Murphy, and I took his name. And when I took his name, I also was adopted by him and gained four Irish German sisters. If you want to talk about a culture that's really rowdy, right, it's the Irish. And if you want to double down on that, it's the Germans. And in fact, in Pennsylvania, that's almost all you had for the longest time was Irish and Germans. A lot of the immigration to them actually was Hessians in the Revolutionary War, but they also heavily migrated to America. But in Ireland, the Irish had a set of different waves of immigration. And the Catholic Irish immigrated to the United States much later than the Protestant Irish did. So wait a second, Murphy, you were raised Protestant Irish. Why are you celebrating St. Patrick's Day? Well, since around the ninth century, people in Ireland have been observing this Roman Catholic feast and even the Protestants have engaged in it. But, you know, there's a big battle in Ireland. And one of the big problems was the orange men versus the green. And there's a song about the wearing of the green. And green is represented in the Irish flag and that those are traditionally the Roman Catholics, right? Because remember, Rome occupied Britain, just like we talked about. The Roman Catholic feast of St. Patrick's Day really was a Catholic feast. And that the Protestants were actually called Orangemen. So if you guys don't know what the Syracuse Orangemen are, now you know. The Syracuse University Orangemen are actually Protestant Irish. So the Protestant Irish are the orange and the Catholic Irish are the green. And the white in the middle is the peace between them. And I can tell you, if you've ever watched movies about the sectarian conflicts that went on in Ireland, and this is not to besmirch any of the sectarian issues in the religion of Islam, but these are pretty brutal, like generations of blood feuds, very similar to what you see with sectarian violence in the religion of Islam. So what you need to know, and we're not here to suffer through all of that stuff, we're here to celebrate the culture. And today I want to celebrate the fact that really, if you want to be blown away by this, the very first St. Patrick's Day parade actually took place not in Ireland, but in America. That's right. So it was a parade that was held in a Spanish colony. So theoretically, the Spanish celebrated St. Patrick's Day. That's right. And don't get me started with the fact that the Spanish invaded Ireland and we have our traditional Black Irish from these immigrations. So the first St. Patrick's Day parade was actually held March 17th, obviously, and that's St. Patrick's Day, in 1601, in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. And the parade was led by the Spanish colony's Irish vicar. So as I said, the Spaniards have a history of being in Ireland, and we have the first Irish-Spanish colonist vicar from Spain, Ricardo Artur. So that's right. If you're Spanish, you helped usher in St. Patrick's Day. So it took up until really uh, over a century later when the Irish soldiers who were fighting in the English military marched into New York City on March 17, 1772 to honor the patron saint. To honor St. Patrick, they had a really big parade. 
And so this enthusiasm for St. Patrick's Day grew out of New York City. So you have St. Augustine, Florida celebrating. You have the uh, Irish soldiers from the English army celebrating and bringing it to America. And you get the growth of these celebrations. That's what's really remarkable is that over the next 35 years or so, after that, after the Revolutionary War, Irish patriotism among American immigrants flourished. And in fact, you get these Irish aid societies. So what you need to know is the first waves of Irish immigration into America were off of something called the Ulster Plantation. And so these were Protestant Irish. And it was Protestant Irish and Scots-Irish. And so very interesting, Scots-Irish really aren't celebratory of St. Patrick's Day. They just aren't. They are Protestants and they're not really Irish. They're Scots that were transplanted by the English to breed out the Irish from Northern Ireland. And so the Scots-Irish and the Irish, both Protestant, migrated first, and they migrated before the Revolutionary War. The big Catholic migrations to like Philadelphia and Boston and those things, those happened around the 1800s. But really over the next 35 years after the Revolutionary War, you started to develop these Irish aid societies because the Irish were not allowed to hold jobs, right? Remember I told you the Irish culture in America, they were very downtrodden with the biggest classism and, and racism, if you want my humble opinion, happened amongst the Irish. Yes, that's right. The Irish populations, remember Irish need not apply, resulting in Irish gangs in New York City and a lot of Irish poverty. And so what had to happen was you had to have these societies stand up like the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick and the Hibernian Society. And these societies would hold annual parades each year. And over time, they just traditionally evolved in. So what you need to know about this is these actually first became popular in the British and Scottish armies, right? These parades. And so Scots-Irish are from Northern Ireland, but they're actually from Scotland. And so what you see is this evolution over 100 years plus, where the New York Irish Aid Societies united and they formed the New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade. And that parade is the world's oldest civilian parade with over 150,000 participants each year, right? Three million people come in for, to watch the 1.5 parade route, right? Which takes more than five hours. In addition to that, Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, and Savannah also celebrate the day. They also have big parades. And in 2020, the New York City Parade was one of the first city events that actually was canceled because of the pandemic. Can you imagine that, right? And that brought tears to my eye, tears to my eye. And again, it was canceled in 2021. So just last year, the parades came back. And I felt like really hopeful when that happened because spring was coming, COVID was starting to taper down because, you know, I'm not going to say there's seasonality to it, but the people in the Northeast could get outside a little bit more could get outside more. And so you had less issues with transmission. And so because of that, we're able to have the parade. So I'm talking lots about the parade and I'm talking a little bit about St. Patrick, but what I really also want to do is to help you recognize that up until the mid 1800s, almost all of the Irish immigrants in America were members of the Protestant middle class and the Protestant lower class. That's right. We had Irish and Scots-Irish that came through. And there's a great book by Jim Webb called Born Fighting that details the Scots-Irish migration 
And there were some fights between the Scots-Irish and the Irish. And there were a lot of fights because they're both Protestants, but they're Protestants in, in different sects, not sects, sects. And so you didn't really see the Catholics come over to America until the 1840s, right? When close to about a million poor and uneducated Irish Catholics began pouring into America. And what I haven't told you about the issue with Ireland is that the same thing happened to them. Irish Protestants and Irish Catholics fought each other. They fought each other fiercely. And not only did they fight each other, but they discriminated against each other. These are brothers, brothers, but they had a different religious loyalty. And so therefore they despised each other for their religious beliefs. And one of the big problems that happened is as the American Protestants came through, they really didn't trust the Catholics. And so we had another wave of Irish need not apply. And so when the Irish Americans took to the cities, to the streets to celebrate, you know, media is the worst the absolute worst. And so one of the big things that happened when the Irish Catholics came to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, the news media painted them as drunks and violent monkeys. How does that sound? Sounds very, very similar. The media tends to do this to people they dislike. And in the Protestant-owned, English-owned media, they portrayed the Irish Catholics as drunken monkeys, right? One thing that really wins in America and all over the world is grow and be fruitful, things in the Bible, grow and be fruitful. And so the American Irish began to become very fruitful. And in fact, their numbers had grown so much through the years that they started to organize a voting block known as the Green Machine. And the Green Machine really was important for political hopefuls. And when that happened, politicians started to recognize that Irish Americans needed to be supported. And in fact, Politicians showed up at these parades. And in fact, in 1948, Harry Truman attended the St. Patrick's Day Parade, right? Because his Irish-American ancestors helped support him. And so he tried to explain that there were stereotypes and racial prejudice that we got to fight through over the world, throughout the world. So one of the big things I want you to understand about St. Patrick now you understand how the Irish came in America and how everything happened. But I want to tell you about what can go wrong. It's going to be a longer weekend extra. Say a little extra extra for you. We're here in like 15, 16 minutes. Now that we know about the parade and what happened initially with St. Patrick, I want you to really understand this, right? St. Patrick wasn't even Irish. He wasn't Irish. But actually, while he was held prisoner, he found his faith. The obstacle was his way. And what's truly amazing about it is that St. Patrick's life really kind of remains a mystery. A lot of the stuff that's out there are stories. And if you know anything about Irish brethren, they can tell a story. <laughs> They'll tell a story, all right? They'll tell you that St. Patrick banished all the snakes from Ireland. Not true. Instead, here's the real scoop. St. Patrick was actually born to wealthy parents. He was in a wealthy gentry family and Although his father was a Christian deacon, it was probably done only because there were tax incentives. Not really a religious family, right? So St. Patrick at age 16 was taken by Irish raiders, right? They went and they raided his family's estate and they took him to Ireland where he spent six years in captivity. 
supposedly. And there is some argument about where the captivity took place, but many really believe that he went to live in County Antrim. Others think that he lived in County Mayo. During this time, as a slave, he worked as a shepherd, outdoor and away from people. He was isolated, lonely, and afraid. And because of this, he needed something to support him. Right, Victor Frankl says, when you're suffering like this, you're only suffering because you allow your mind to suffer. You need to see the benefit, see that the obstacle truly is the way. Right, that which obstructs the way becomes the way. So lonely and afraid, he turned to religion for his solace. He became a devout Christian. And some people believe that during this time that he was a slave shepherd, that he began to dream of converting the Irish people to Christianity. And maybe by converting them to Christianity, they'd stop stealing kids as slaves. Very thoughtful process, right? So what made St. Patrick so amazing is that after his six years as a prisoner, he escaped. And according to his writings, he had a dream telling him it's time to leave Ireland. So St. Patrick left Ireland. This was not an easy out. He had to walk 200 miles to the Irish coast to escape. And after he escaped to Britain, Patrick said in his writings that he experienced a second revelation, a revelation that told him it is time to return to Ireland. And soon after that, Patrick began studying religion fervently and engaged in a course of training that lasted up to 15 years. Then he was ordained as a priest. He was sent back to Ireland with a dual mission. Number one, minister to the Christians in Ireland that exist. And number two, convert Ireland to Christianity. That's right. Why? There's all sorts of interesting pagan rituals and beliefs out of Ireland. And also remember the Romans were in Ireland too, and there were a lot of Roman culture and religion penetrating Ireland. In addition to that, Ireland had been sacked by the Norse. So there's Viking blood in Ireland, and we have ancient Viking religion penetrating through Ireland. So what did we learn? We learned that a boy who was kidnapped from Britain, held as a slave in Ireland, escapes back away from Ireland. Oh, that place was horrible. Why go back there? Why did he go back there? Well, put simply, his slavery was his training, was his understanding of the culture. His isolation allowed him to think deeply and get in contact with his religion. Because he trained as a Christian, he recognized that two wrongs don't make a right. He learned to turn the other cheek, and he learned to recognize that his suffering was for a reason. So one of the amazing things about St. Patrick and why he was so amazing at converting Irish was that he was familiar with the Irish language and culture. He lived there for six years. And rather than speak Latin, he chose to incorporate traditional ritual from Ireland into his lessons of Christianity. He didn't try and eradicate native Irish beliefs. He didn't. Instead, he worked with them. One of the good examples of this is he used bonfires to celebrate Easter. 
since the Irish were already used to honoring their gods with fire. Part of that stuff, by the way, came from ancient pagan times and came from Norse culture as well from the Vikings. He also, interesting, superimposed a sun. Now the sun is a very powerful Irish symbol. And let me tell you why. If you've ever been to Ireland, good luck getting the sun. It's a very wonderful thing to have Irish sun. It helps heal. It helps nurture. It helps the fish. It helps the agriculture. And if you don't have the sun, you don't have food. So he put this sun onto a Christian cross to create what is now called the Celtic cross. This was to combine, to bring old ancient culture together with Christianity so that way people could transition, people could understand. And this blending of culture was essential to his teaching of the Christian faith. He had a flexible mind. He was willing to work with people. He wasn't so rigid because rigidity really would have destroyed him. The Irish people, if you know anything, they want to be worked with. They want, don't want to fight with. And so the key is trying to understand, how can I work with you? So as you go through this weekend, you need to think about that. You may have a bullheaded son or daughter. And rather than say, I need, listen, you're garbage. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to teach you what's going on because that's my job. And you shouldn't ever say your kid's garbage. But you say your ideas are garbage. And even then, it's not a good way to do it. Not a good way to do it. Find something natural to them. Find something that's in their culture and bring it together. That's how St. Patrick did it. So what's really interesting about it is when St. Patrick came back, there really weren't a lot of Christians on the island. And in fact, most of the Irish practiced like pagan religions, nature-based religions, solar-based religions, Roman culture, Norse culture blended together. And so the Irish culture centered around a rich tradition of oral legend and myth, very similar to the Vedic tradition, right? So these Vedas in the subcontinent of India, they were memorized. People didn't write this stuff down. They had to memorize it. And it was very similar in Irish pagan religion. So when you understand what happened with St. Patrick, St. Patrick really, his tales were woven into that ancient pagan oral tradition. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, just like Brian Baru, bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you don't know anything about Brian Baru, you should go. Take the weekend, Google it, right? The Vikings owned Ireland. They kept sacking Ireland over and over and over again. And so the Irish really are Vikings. And then the Spanish came, Vikings came, Romans came, Spanish came, all in Ireland and in the Irish. So what's most amazing about this, you may not know, is that St. Patrick was never canonized as a saint so he did all these great works. He amalgamated cultures together. He brought a religion to an island. And he inspired millions of people to celebrate and honor the difficulty, the challenges, the Murphy's Law that had happened with the Irish people. You don't think the potato famine is a Murphy's Law event? It totally is. It's a totally Murphy's event. And so guess what? We're going to see more of those in the future as we go on. Not so much a potato blight, but right now we're dealing with an obesity blight from food chemists that are putting poison in our food, right? Rather than eating natural food and we're resulting with obesity. This is a significant Murphy's Law event that you just can't control. 
because you can't control your government and you can't control the food chemists. That's a side note. As you eat boiled dinner, which is cabbage, potatoes, carrots, sometimes parsnips, corned beef, bacon, and soda bread. That's a lot of carbs. But if done right, and you stay away from GMO stuff, it can be a pretty healthy meal. So even though St. Patrick was known as the patron saint of Ireland, the Catholic Church never canonized him. Why? Well, that's when he lived. Right During the first millennium, there was no formal canonization process in the Catholic Church. So here you go. St. Patrick ain't a saint. St. Patrick ain't Irish. But St. Patrick was quick-witted and brave. And St. Patrick was a slave. He didn't let the slavery define him. Instead, he let the obstacle be the way. So as you face your challenges this weekend, remember the plight of the Irish. Make no mistake, as a culture, they suffered long and hard. But they are some of the most successful people in America today and across the world. Why? Because they never quit. Never quit. They kept going. They believed in a better tomorrow. And they always, always found a way to turn the obstacle into the way. So thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great St. Patrick's Day. Don't be a drunken monkey. Be safe. Remember, the roads are full of amateurs out there, especially drinking and driving. So please don't do that either. Be safe to each other. Do your best. Be good to each other. Teach your family about what it means to suffer. Such a bad Murphy's Law to be kidnapped, enslaved, only to escape and return back to where you were held as a slave to make things better. You can make things better just a day at a time. All right, so I appreciate it, Tribe. We're closing up here. You listened for a really long time. Thank you so much. I hope you learned a little bit about St. Patrick. I hope you learned a little bit about the Irish in America. But more importantly, I hope you learned that when Murphy's Law happens, there's only one treatment, and that's Murphy's Medicine. And in this case, what's Murphy's Medicine? Let the obstacle be the way. Recognize that your suffering is for a reason. Make it better. I want to thank all you guys for listening. I hope you have a great St. Patrick's Day weekend. Please, please, if this helped you or you think it's going to interest one of your friends, please share it and leave a comment so that way we know what our tribe is doing this weekend. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Murphy's Medicine with Dr. Stephen A.R. Murphy. Got a question for the doctor? Email us at doc at murphysmedicine.com. And for more information on this podcast, visit our website at murphysmedicine.com. Be sure to follow us on all social media at Murphy's Medicine. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us and tell your friends they too can start planning for Murphy's Law by listening to Murphy's Medicine. Thanks again for listening. We can all do something, right? Yeah, and if we had more and more Murphys out there, the world would be a better place.